I'm Monsignor Bill Parent, pastor of St. Elizabeth Church, and you're listening to the St. Elizabeth Church podcast. This episode is one of five talks by our parish clergy from our 2021 Lenten series, Three Simple Things, Truth, Accountability, and Transparency in Our Church and Nation. Here is the second talk in this series by Father Stefan Maguri, recorded live on Tuesday, March 2nd. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of his wife just as Christ is head of the church, he himself the savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The word of the Lord. I am certain that my choice of this reading must have caused some consternation. What wife would want to subordinate herself to her husband nowadays? And what does this passage has to do with, over, with our overall theme? As you may already guess, after our first talk in which we have focused more on the case of Mr. McCarrick and the church's handling of it, I would like to take a step back and to look at the bigger picture of our relationship with our bishops. I choose this particular reading because marriage is an institution we all can relate to, either directly because we live in it or indirectly because we have experienced it through our parents or have observed it with our friends around us. I propose that we can take the relationship between husband and wife as an analogy for the relationship with our bishops. And when I suggest this, I'm aware that, like every analogy, this kind of comparison falls short in certain areas. Yet, nevertheless, bear with me as I am going to unfold my argument. The very first terms that dominate, yes, overshadow the whole text and its receptions are wives being subordinate and husbands being heads of their wives. A short glance at the common definition of subordination as being placed in a lower rank or position, being of secondary or less importance and under the authority of a superior makes it seem obvious why there is such an outcry. Doesn't that sound demeaning, oppressive, and stripping women of every dignity? And analogously, who of us freedom-loving people 
would voluntarily like to subordinate themselves to their bishops. What intensifies this outrage is the fact that following Paul, bishops must be our heads, a term so out of place in our egalitarian society. Allow me, therefore, to deal with these two terms first. The Greek verb Paul uses here for being subordinate must not be understood as forced enslavement under a dominant power, but rather as a voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating, assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. The implication is that the ones subjecting themselves do so through an act of their sovereign will and that they could equally have elected to have done otherwise. Contrary to any suggestion of being like slaves, Paul's use of being subordinate clearly associates the idea of a person full of dignity and deserving respect, being freely addressed and exhorted to make a choice to take on this attitude of subordination. Subordination understood in this sense suddenly loses all its insulting connotations. If we follow this interpretation, the question arises, what is our specific motivation to freely take on this attitude of being subordinate, of freely giving in in our relationship with our bishops? It is Christ. Because when Paul continues by calling husbands heads of their wives, he immediately adds, just as Christ is head of the church. Paul does not write of the headship of the husband apart from Christ's headship. But if we want to understand what Christ's headship means, we have to look to the cross. There we see that contrary to our world, where headship is normally manifested in domination and reckless exercise of power for one's sole benefit, Christ reveals that his headship is made known in the act of self-emptying and self-humiliation. Think about it. Jesus Christ, the all-powerful Son of God, does not use his divine privileges and power for selfish interests, but he completely emptied himself for the sake of us. I came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life for you. Yes, Jesus' headship has the form of servanthood. It ultimately has the form of the cross. When Paul speaks of husbands as heads, then he is challenging them to follow Christ's cruciform pattern of life. And it is Isn't that even more true for our bishops who are configured to Christ the head? They are called to follow Christ's cruciform servanthood exactly by not exploiting their rights and privileges, but by foregoing them, by loving service, and if necessary, by laying down their lives for us, their sheep. Brothers and sisters, any bishop who truly is head must use his status his privileges, only to help us and build us up. Only the hypocrites use their power to promote themselves. Living the cruciform way of life does not manifest itself in how our bishops handle responsibilities, 
no but how they handle their privileges. It should have become clear by now that the headship of our bishops must never be separated from Christ's headship and must be exercised in the same way and only in this cruciform way. Our understanding of headship is further completed by Paul's discussion of Christ's sacrificial love. It is interesting that many listeners of this passage are most often struck by the exhortation to the wives to be subordinate and stop there, missing that the true rate of this passage actually lies with the husband and for us with the bishops. When we continue our reading, we see that Paul exhorts husbands to love their wives, but not just love them, but love them as Christ loved the church. And how is Christ's love for the church defined? By giving himself up for her that he might sanctify her. This is a love that is total and selfless. This is a love that stands under the sign of the cross, a love that again is shaped in the form of the cross. It is a readiness for service and sacrifice, for forgiveness and consideration, for help and sympathy, for lifting up the fallen and restoring the broken, in a fellowship which owes its very existence to the mercy of God and the sacrificial death of Christ. Paul is expecting the husband, as one reborn in Christ through baptism, to participate in the life of Christ, to make his own the actions and attitudes of the Lord by genuinely adopting an attitude of self-sacrificial love, even to the point of being willing to die for her. In the same way as Paul holds out to the husband a model of headship which is to be expressed by his taking the lead, the initiative in being a servant to his wife, just as Christ took the lead and poured out his life in service, we should call out to our bishops. Just as Christ is not an external master but rather supreme love, so the bishops are not an executive, a patron, a power who constrains but an image of God, the love. Yes, we have a claim upon this because it is only in response to this love that we are invited to freely place ourselves at the disposal of our bishops, just like a wife does to her husband. In the light of faith, the truth that the bishop is responsible for correct teaching and the pastoral direction of their sheep appears suddenly as a role of service, a mediation of the gifts of love. When we understand that bishops are to love like Christ in the same fatherly, generous and sacrificial way with a love that impels them to give themselves totally and irrevocably, a love that seeks the sanctification of all of us, subordination is very far from any oppression. Brothers and sisters, can anyone seriously deny that like the church does not lose her dignity by responding in subordinating to the Lord who gave his life for her? We would not lose our dignity by subordinating to our bishops when they imitate the cruciform way of life of our Lord? Is it degrading and demeaning for us to place ourselves at the disposition of such a loving Lord? Subordination to love? Yes, this is what it really is, 
only this and nothing else. And it is this truth that sets us free. This passage then, which at first glance seemed so threatening, is in fact truly liberating because it models the relationship with our bishops according to the church's relationship to Christ. And this pattern frees us from enslavement to powers, traditions, ideals, and above all, from the temptation to seek a solution of our problems only between the two poles of a tyrannic hierarchy or an egalitarian competition. But what if this picture I just painted of bishops who, like husbands, laugh in this cruciform way, who forgo their privileges and power in order to become servants out of love, who are even willing to sacrifice themselves for good, what if this picture is just a dream? We just have to open the newspapers or turn on the news and it seems to prove that all what I just described is simply a dream because there are so numerous examples of bishops who have forgotten to love like Christ, whose lives are everything else than cruciform, who love selfishly instead of self-sacrificially, How can we subordinate to bishops who are guilty of the worst crimes? How can we subordinate to bishops who have been silent, yes, even have covered crimes of others? How can we subordinate to bishops who have abused their positions and power only for their own interests and benefits? Yes, how can we? We can't. So what can we do? Of course, we could run away. Infidelity creates difficult and painful situations, situations that involves all the emotions and for us Christians can stretch faith almost to the breaking point. Like a wife leaving her unfaithful husband, we could turn away from these unfaithful bishops. And that is what many have done, unfortunately. But what those who left have forgotten is that by leaving the church, they have ultimately also left Christ, because the church is nothing else than the body of Christ. And this puts us in a dilemma. If leaving is not an option because we love Christ so much, what can we do? Brothers and sisters, we are not called to judge our spouses ever. We are called to love them. We are not called to recount failures in a pharisaic game of I am holier than you, we are called to encourage each other. Brothers and sisters, if our bishops have forgotten to act and behave like Christ, then it is our responsibility, like a good spouse, to remind them of their call and to help them, help them to rediscover their cruciform life, their true Christ-like face, and in a way holding them accountable. And how do we do this? The best thing to do is turn all your worries over to God. He cares about you. St. Peter encourages us. If we have been wronged, go to the Lord for comfort, wisdom and direction. God can help us through the deepest of trials. Pray. Seek the Lord for wisdom, for healing and for guidance. Let us pray for ourselves, pray for those who offended us and pray for anyone else involved. Pray for the Lord to direct our thoughts, words, actions, and decisions. And let us be honest. As a betrayed spouse, we are suffering the effects of deep hurt. It is appropriate to engage the anger and hurt caused by infidelity 
giving our emotions and needs over to God allows him to minister to our hearts so that we can begin to let go of the offense. Let us be willing to forgive. We are to forgive others as we have been forgiven. We should be willing and ready to extend forgiveness like a spouse who is willing to forgive when the unfaithful part comes in repentance. But forgiveness is not forgetting. We are not asked to forget the experience, but to heal and grow from it and move forward. Again, maybe you will tell me, yes, it is a beautiful picture that you have painted during your talk, Father, but it is totally an unrealistic one. It's just a dream. Brothers and sisters, this type of love, this type of loving relationship between cruciform love and receiving subordination is possible. It is not a pipe dream. And we've, when we find ourselves doubting, then we need only to look up into the face of Jesus Christ here present among us in the Eucharist. He is not a dream. His love is not a dream.